Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Bruskin. I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action, and welcome to another week from Wisconsin. We have our full panel, although Robert Craig is not with us. He is uh, attempting to try to get to College Station, Pennsylvania, to watch his beloved Pitt Panthers uh, take on Penn State. That is not working out so well, though, Robert. Yeah. Uh, I hear you're in that an is, airport. That is, <laughs> that is State College. Oh, College Station sorry. is in Texas. That's uh, Texas A&M. Sorry, my big Your universities. How dare you? <laughs> How dare I confuse those? <laughs> but, Robert, uh, thanks for joining us today in spite of your travel uh, perils. Uh, uh, well, I, I guess I won't say I'm glad to be here. I'm supposed to be in Chicago doing this on at my connecting flight, so I'm delayed a whole 24 hours. So, anyway, but such is life. Well, we, we're glad you took the time to join us, and Rebecca Lynch is with us with the Working Families Party. She's in the recording studio today. Rebecca, good to have you. Good to be here, Matt. So, both of you, um, we are going to start by talking about the Purdue Pharma situation. Uh, this is the opioid deal that uh, is uh, all across the nation, a number of states and uh, locals. Uh, there's a tentative deal, and uh, we have stuff to talk about here in Wisconsin around that, both related to our lame duck and just the quality of that deal. We're also going to talk about, do a little update on uh, Congressional District 7. Um, we want to talk also about the open records request that we discussed last week that Sheila Plotkin was doing on the charging of that by Voss and Nigren. Uh, we have some Foxconn news, and we'll talk uh, some, some presidential uh, Democratic presidential primary, and we'll be joined at the end of the show by Jody Emerson, State Representative Jody Emerson, our member from the Eau Claire area and uh, first-time freshman state legislator. So we'll hear from her about her experience so far, what, about eight, nine months in to her uh, being a state legislator. But let's get started here. Let's talk about this tentative per- Purdue Pharma opiate deal that was, um, uh, it was got a lot of press yesterday, Wednesday, um, and Rebecca, I'm going to ha- go to you first here, but the big news is that we have a settlement. There's 20 states, not including Wisconsin, and this is related to the political fight that we're having around the lame duck where that we've talked about last week and I, even the week before, um, and so we have that issue, but we also have the issue of uh, our Attorney General, Josh Call, actually does not like the tentative settlement. Um, he calls it inadequate. Rebecca, tell, talk more. Obviously, want to get your thoughts. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure where to start. Maybe um, moving away from Wisconsin for a second. A whole lot of attorneys general throughout the country are unhappy with this settlement. And, uh, you know, really interested to hear kind of what you and Robert could think about the finer points. But what I'm, I'm just kind of look, looking at an article right now, you know, under the deal, the Sackler family would pay, I think, $3 billion in cash over seven years. Um, the, you know, Purdue Farm, I think, is filing for bankruptcy. There's no admission of wrongdoing in this settlement. And a lot of, um, many attorneys general throughout the country and lots of different states, you know, not just blue states, um, but many states find this insulting, both the number, um, but also some other stipulations. You know, the w- a number of states had tried to secure in this deal um, a promise from, I think the name of the company is um, something from like M- Mundi Pharma or something like that. Um, but d- basically from, from the Sacklers to c- discontinue 
producing this for international markets. So they're continuing to do what they've been doing in this country and other countries, um, but also to secure more money. And so as the company has filed for bankruptcy, the family is still a, a unbelievably, unconscionably wealthy. You know, and, and just one one example of this, of, of something I'd want to mention is, you know, in Pennsylvania, the attorney general, Josh Shapiro, um, who was one of four state attorneys general who are negotiating with Purdue and the Sacklers um, said that he intends to sue the Sackler family. He's not the only state. Other states have two. I think New Mexico, um, Delaware, a few others. Um, but the quote here is like pretty fantastic from Attorney General Shapiro. He said, I think there are they I think they, meaning the Sacklers, are a group of sanctimonious billionaires who lied and cheated so they can make a handsome profit. I truly believe that they have blood on their hands. And so I think that that is in large part, you know, what the issue is here. Um, obviously, there's so much more to talk about in terms of Wisconsin, but just kind of want to leave space for some other folks. I don't know. Robert, do you have anything you'd want to say about this? I mean, this case has to do with some of the worst corporate malfeasance that we've seen since uh, the, the, the crash and the, uh, and the Great Recession and the housing bubble. Uh, literally, we have companies here, Purdue Pharma being one of them, that as a business model uh, got people addicted to opiates and, and helped spark this opiate epidemic and literally um, encouraged doctors and others with the, and, and patients with the idea that somehow uh, this, these were not very addictive and that this was a safe thing to do and used all of their business might. Uh, to just for profit purposes, and then tempted to walk away from the incredible social economic consequences. And I mean, a lot of people, it is not a stretch at all, quite the contrary, have died because of this. So in our civil justice system, of course, we translate human suffering and death into money. And so this lawsuit is about them making some kind of recompense. Of course, you can't really uh, restore destroyed lives or, pe or people who were killed or people who have been addicted for years and lost their livelihoods, lost their families, uh, everything else connected to, to addiction. Um, and so the question is, is this enough money? And obviously I, I tend to think that the attorney generals uh, that are saying this is not enough, this is, this is not enough restitution are on the right side of things because the settlements we've heard of such a, and I, uh, cases that were not even settled, but actually judgments, such as what S.C. Johnson ended up doing, um, you know, um, in, um, it wasn't S.C. Johnson, it was, um, you know, the baby powder people, right? Uh, the, the other pharmaceutical company uh, did in Oklahoma wasn't, was, didn't even begin to approximate the cost of the state of Oklahoma um, of, of the, uh, the cost of the opiate epidemic. So obviously, frankly, we have death penalty for uh, college football programs that violate the rules too much. Uh, you really, this really is bad enough that you could think about liquidating the corporation entirely, um, and the and all the assets built up with it by this family uh, uh, for this level of malfeasance. So I think the obviously I'll just the pressure that the attorney generals are under is, you know, there's a real basically the company saying they'll they'll go bankrupt and there will be a fraction of the resources that. I believe it's the twelve billion that are in this uh, settlement. Uh, that that's that stinks, right? Where the, basically you can have that threat of liquidation and somehow, you know, hold a gun to the heads of of all of these states in terms of what their ability is to get that get the proper amount of compensation for the damage caused. And so you have these 
areas that are being devastated, right? All around, you know, all, all around the country. Um, and that could use this money. And so it puts them in a very desperate situation of wanting to settle to try to get the money. Um, we here in this state have the added complication of the whole lame duck law, which has really complicated our ability as a state to be effective in terms of how we're engaging in this lawsuit. And obviously, uh, Attorney General Call thinks that uh, the suit isn't good enough. And um, I can only imagine that our inability to have any sort of coherent uh, statewide uh, plan here is limiting our ability to even in, uh, engage in those conversations, much less if there's going to be a deal cut, maybe even being a part of that, that which is incredibly disturbing. And um, so I don't know if anyone has any thoughts on that. Um, you know, j just when you look at, there are over, I think, 2,000 lawsuits that have been filed against um, Purdue. And when you look at the range of them, you know, from Native American tribes to lawyers representing babies that were born with opioid withdrawal, just like different constituencies and people all throughout the country. It's like a good snapshot of like the devastation yeah. caused by this corporate greed. Um, and, and that I think provides like really helpful context into why it's so important that there be a fair and just settlement. And so, you know, we'll see. I mean, the Sackler family is incredibly wealthy. They got, in large part, their so fortune like three trillion, like three trillion in wealth. Is that really? It's, it's insane. It's it's a crazy amount compared to what's being paid. I and 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 by the way, almost all of this wealth is coming from the opioid from OxyContin. Right. I believe right. it is right. Correct. And, and, Correct. And, and as Robert mentioned, just completely knew what they were doing right in terms of trying to uh, under they knew that this was being abused right and and to profit off of that and that they will continue to hold all that wealth and all they have to do is sell their that they own the company just yeah it's it angers it's anger it angering at, when you read it yeah, completely. I know we, we are running out of time in this segment, but, you know, I just say on that, you know, they took money from the company and now the company is filing for bankruptcy. And so that hasn't gone unnoticed either by folks who are now suing the family. Well, we're going to continue to track this. We'll have to see this is obviously going to continue to play out uh, both as it relates to the overall lawsuit, but Wisconsin's role in it. But we got to take a break here at the Battleground Wisconsin. Uh, you are listening, again, you're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We are going to spend a little bit of time just updating and talking about Congressional District 7, which last week was the big news that Sean Duffy was stepping down. And it did not take long for the Republicans to... It appears to consolidate, certainly Republican leadership, um, uh, consolidate around Tom Tiffany, Senator Tiffany, from the northeastern part of the state. I think, uh, I'm not exactly sure where he's from, Minocqua maybe, <laughs> who knows. Um, but uh, to, to run and announce that he is running, officially announced yesterday, Governor Walker has already announced that he will be supporting. The only real news... Uh, Otherwise, as Jerry Petrowski also said, he will not run. Uh, and we've heard that there might be the Mosinee Republican mayor might be running. But it appears as though the Republicans have consolidated uh, behind Tom Tiffany. Uh, and there are, to my knowledge, I don't believe any major Dem candidates or any Dem candidates that have really announced at this point. Uh, I don't know if the panels have, have, have any thoughts on this or anything, but um, uh, Robert? I would just say that it's 
interesting on the Republican side that Tom Tiffany is a candidate because, at least from an outsider, not knowing the internal nuances of uh, Republican politics in the North Woods uh, that well, um, Tom Tiffany would seem to be a more vulnerable uh, opponent than a uh, Jerry Petrowski, the senator from Marathon County in that area, who's much more of a a politician who is much more independently minded and could appeal across uh, different constituencies. And so my interpretation would be that the Republicans think this district is so Republican that it doesn't matter, and they can go with a complete red meat kind of uh, Republican who is just, uh, it, quite frankly, would have been seen as extreme even even a decade, decade and a half ago within the Republican Party. And so this guy, Tiffany, has a horrendous record when it comes to environmental issues. And you can basically find him at all, with all the worst positions um, in the state legislature and not even open to discussion, even ideologue. And so I, the question is, given the Republicans, you could be described as overconfident, given they're putting up a Tiffany, um, who does who, I mean, Let's face it, Duffy was this way too, but Duffy had a certain amount of charisma and was a you know reality TV star, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, can the Democrats put up a credible candidate who can raise enough money and run the kind of campaign that could actually threaten the Republicans in this district? Yeah, just to kind of riff off of what uh, Robert just said, uh, you know, a couple of things about, you know, Tiffany being a red meat Republican. The first is that immediately right out of the gate, Tiffany is aligning himself with President Donald Trump. So, like, make yeah. no mistake, that is what he's trying to do. So he put out, um, I think he posted on Twitter, I'm the ally real Donald Trump, real Donald Trump, Donald Trump needs to keep moving our country forward. Um, so that is like he announced and he's like, I'm announcing because I want to partner with President Trump to oh, continue he, that legacy. I can't wait for Trump to fly on in. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we don't have a Trump visit real quickly. Oh, right. God, and get you're so right. Trump to come in you're and visit because right. they have a self-interest. Right. He needs that part of the district to go ruby red and to, to perform like it did in 2016 and not you know, have any rollback. If anything, it needs to be even more red in order for him to overcome what may be further erosion in some of the suburbs. So getting aligned with the Tiffany makes perfect sense for him. And certainly Walker saw that and got right aligned up because uh, this is, I, I think it's critical for them carrying the district that they have this kind of alignment. Um, we have to find, we have to make them pay for essentially trying to align with the base and, and, and white nationalists. Wow, that's so smart, and I hadn't even thought about that yet. I'm only on my second cup of coffee, but that's well. That's you are, a good you're point. at a grave disadvantage. <laughs> I got in here at six thirty and have drunk about thirty two ounces of coffee, and <laughs> it's the only decent thought I think I've had all day. Oh, I'm done. My Goodbye now. No. Yeah, I mean, but you know, just a, looking at his record, and you know, yeah. Robert said about kind of even going back ten years. This is someone who supported oh. Ted Cruz for president, right? This is like the person we're talking about. But I have to say, and I I don't often shout out the Democratic Party, but I, I think Ben Wickler is really interesting, by the way, the new Democratic Party chair. Their response, they were all uh, can over I this read guy. It? Yeah, it's yeah. so good, yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, as Robert mentioned, uh, Tiffany's got like a really terrible record. Um, and in particular, people call it toxic, um, like Robert said, around environmental issues. Um, but he, you know, eased the pe- a pe- he eased environmental protections, um, you know, to, to help you know, move forward some mining. Uh, in his community and so anyway we, we could talk more about that another yeah, he, time but this he's qu- not helpful on water you know if you, if you don't like CAFOs you're gonna love Tom Tiffany right mm. no this guy's 
He's terrible. In fact, he's going to run on his environmental record, which just shows you what, what Robert was underlying, just how much of an ideologue and conservative this guy is. He actually thinks his record on the environment is outstanding and something he should run on. So, Well, I mean, I'm sure many of his constituents probably agree. Well, one other thing I want to point out before I, we also give Robert one more chance on oh, this. Oh, and I want to um, do the Ben yeah. Wickler quote, though, because it's so good. Oh, yeah, good. yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Back to the Ben Wickler. One, one other quick thing. Tiffany comes from more northeast Wisconsin. This district is predominantly central and northwest, so he is not currently representing, at least to my knowledge, a major chunk of this district. So he is sort of a new entity to probably 80% of the voters uh, since he was a just a sliver of his center part. That's why I think he might be from the more center part of the state okay. that he's in this district at all. Um, so anyways, back to Ben Wickler. Oh yeah, just super quick and then we'll send it back to Robert. Um, <clears throat> He said, quote, it's a sad day for the Republican Party when they rally around a candidate as unelectable as someone known as Toxic Tom Tiffany, said Ben Wickler, chairman of the state Democratic Party. This is in the Journal Sentinel, by the way, just to give some attribution. And then he said, quote, Wisconsin Republicans love gerrymandering, but it's hard to gerrymander your way out of a record like that. So I, I do think it's it's a heavily Republican district. I think this is going to be a tough seat for us. Um, I appreciate the bravado, but um, but I, I love that line. Like, you can't gerrymander your way out of your record. And I think that, you know, he's going to, like you said, Matt, like he, Tiffany's going to run on his record, championing um, himself as someone who's been good on you know, environmental oh, yeah. stuff from his perspective. And so th that'll really be something that, you know, I guess we'll be fighting out on the doors. It'll be really interesting to see it play out. I don't know, um, Robert, if you had anything that you wanted to say about that. I just think it shows a certain amount of arrogance on the Republicans' part. But it still remains to be seen if we can have a candidate who can raise a couple million dollars and excite a national fundraising base and be competitive with it. what is still a very gerrymandered district. And Republicans have shown, very much unlike Democrats, uh, that you don't really have to moderate to win elections, right? So we probably get too carried away around um, about specific issue positions on the, uh, on the in the Democratic Party. There's constant questioning about whether, oh, is someone too far left to win? And the public doesn't think in left and right terms. They think very clearly in a is on our side, is with us or against us kind of terms, and uh and, and identify more with the individual than they do with, with some sort of uh, nuanced uh, discussion of where they fall on an ideological scale. It is worth pointing out uh, the Democrats don't have any major announced candidates at this point. Um, Nick Milroy is uh, clearly strongly considering this. Um, we know Janet Bewley has also been mentioned, uh, but Milroy continues to say he's considering and he'll he'll announce later. So uh, we'll continue to track and watch this race. It's important uh, for many of the reasons we mentioned. Before we go to break, I do want to just briefly mention a topic we talked about last week, and that's uh, the open records requests uh, of Sheila Plotkin around the lame duck session and how both uh, Representative uh Voss, leader speaker Voss, and uh, Nigren and a number of and some other uh, electeds were trying to charge significant amounts to produce paper records as opposed to just providing electronic copies. Um, to their credit, the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, uh, I believe today, just today, either today or tomorrow, uh, came out with a really good editorial, uh, fully backing her and also adding to the case uh, the experience 
of uh, Dave Zwiefel around some work that he was doing uh, in that efforting to get uh, open records uh, and coming out very strongly and blasting them for this and, of course, pointing out that there were plenty of other Republican legislators that were willing to, to cooperate. Um, and so, one, just congratulate the Journal Sentinel for coming out on this. But again, remind folks, the Wisconsin Examiner broke this story or it helped bring more light to this the previous week. And we want to continue to shout them out for their good work and encourage you to check them out at uh, wisconsinexaminer.com or .org, com or .org, I don't know. But you can find it. You're smart, folks. Um, really good stuff. Uh, c- keep checking them out. Um, but with that, uh, we are going to take a break. Uh, before we go to break, I want to remind our listeners about our brew fest that is coming up <laughs> next week. I've been telling Matt that Thursday night, <laughs> Rebecca. I'm giving you your daily, excuse me, your hourly warning. I've been telling Matt that Citizen Action is like Hulu with the Hulu has live sports, where they just have those commercials and say it over and over again. That's how I feel about the brew fest. That's right. Did you did I mention that there's a brew fest occurring next Thursday? And let me get the date right, since I produced an image yesterday with the wrong date on it. Uh, <laughs> uh, next Thursday, September 19th here in Milwaukee at the Coakley Brothers, 400 South 5th Street. Uh, starts at 5. We're gonna have, we have some great silent auction items. It's going to be a lot of fun. Great brew. Uh, lots of people will be there. Very good conversation. Uh, so we really encourage you to come out again next Thursday night, the 19th. But with that, we're going to take a break. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Before we get to talking about the Democratic presidential primary, which uh, we're going to continue to talk about, super important, but uh, we have Foxconn News, since we are your Foxconn News channel. Uh, there was uh, news this week around UW-Madison. Um, Fox kind of gotten a lot of very good press over the last year, claiming that they were going to really work closely with UW-Madison. They had pledged over $100 million uh, that they were going to be moving and committing to the university in this partnership. Well, so far, the school has announced they've received $700,000. Again, they were promised $100 million, $700,000. Does this sound at all familiar? Does this sound like Foxconn? I thought these people were trustworthy uh, multinational corporation. Rebecca, Robert? I just want to hear Robert <laughs> rail against Foxconn, because otherwise we can't end the podcast. It's a requirement. Well, I might rail against both Foxconn and the university industrial uh, complex. Do it. Well, we do have a Maris poll later on we can talk about, which we could bring back the poll god. Yeah, all right. Because the alleged corporate subsidization of our universities is not. Generally, the universities, uh, the corporations get a lot more out than they put in, and the universities genreflect to serve their interests, losing their public mission. And it's one of the main reasons, uh, not, I mean, it's, it's one of the reasons for tuition hyperinflation, because the universities will take the initial investment and build something, but then the maintenance of it will be entirely on their tuition dime, right? And you have much more infrastructure to have to invest. It's sort of like if we of Citizen Action would staff up on short-term money and then but when we'd have the staff right and then you'd have to um you'd have to find a way to support it and so it's generally a very bad idea in the first place these are public universities that should be paid for by the public but it's also not a surprise that foxconn is even welching on this uh on this uh promise that probably wasn't much of a promise at all because they're going to take more than they were going to get 
Yeah, no, that sounds that sounds pretty well said. I mean, at this point, I don't even there's no Foxconn news that can surprise me. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Other than the theory of the case that they're only keeping the idea of the plant open until Trump leaves office. Totally. And then all of a sudden there'll be no plant. And it's a little bit of a hedge on the tariffs. But quite frankly, it's hard to imagine that uh, that that the tariffs will continue indefinitely and that the Trump dream that American manufacturing would be made competitive again through his tariffs is unlikely, to say the least. Well, Robert, you also mentioned some of the positive uh, things that Foxconn could get out of this. Well, look, until this news story, you know, talking about how they've what they've not done, the article that this appears in has three sub-articles that were written about this topic before. Foxconn, $100 million gift to UW-Madison will launch partnership. Oh, that's great press, and I'm sure that was a lovely puff piece. Next article, quote, cost-sharing of researchers between UW-Madison and Foxconn is a possibility. Great press. I'm sure that has not happened with the 700000 UW School will send students abroad as part of a Foxconn internship. These are all the articles that have occurred in the last, like, year around this. So all that positive puffy press, right, before they get the article that says, oh, yeah, by the way, all that stuff we said was going to happen, not true, right? And this has been the whole history with Foxconn. I mean, a series of just puff and then, you know, a little bit of uh, bad news that kind of said, oh, yeah, all that stuff, not true. It's not happening. Uh, so this is par for the course for Foxconn, but it's worth pointing out because that is not a small amount, $100 million that they were promising the university, and 700000 is a far cry from that. So, But further, this getting in bed uh, with multinational corporations like Foxconn and our uh, public education system is uh, highly problematic from the, from the jump. Did they respond at all to that? You know, I have not seen any... Any, yeah. any major response. And, and as we know, they're in transition in their leadership, right. so I don't think we'll be hearing much, which could further lead to some of the speculation we had that this will all be blown up uh, post-Trump presidency. Um, speaking of presidency, let's uh, make Do sure it. we spend a, a little bit of time talking about the presidential primary, the Democratic presidential primary. And we have a, we have a uh, debate tonight. This is uh, the first debate where all of, quote, the final 10, as the DNC has whittled them down uh, in their own processes, will appear on one stage. So much talk, same stage, Biden, Warren for the first time, obviously Sanders, but all, all 10 of them on there. Rebecca, your thoughts? Um, still too many people for a substantive debate, but I You progress. sound like an independent voter. <laughs> We're making progress. Um, I was hanging out at a truck stop, a 24-hour truck stop in uh, Johnson Creek uh, the other day. I was just like talked to like half a dozen people like throughout my few hours there, and like all of the folks were like, "There are too many Democrats." Yeah. Like this is, but then we're like, "But what if Jerry Springer ran?" <laughs> it's like very interesting hot takes. <laughs> but um, no, listen, I you know I think I'm obviously thinking about this a lot. As listeners know, the Working Families Party is currently going through our endorsement process. Our member vote I think is concluding today, um, and we've got. Our, uh, you know, our movement leaders are also going to be debating tonight and and voting over the next uh, few days. So I think by the time we have the next radio show, I might know who we endorse. And Ooh, I know that very could exciting. be big news. Will you break it? Well, maybe we can. I don't know if I can wait. break it. Can I think the working it'll families be broken. break it on the podcast? <laughs> I mean, that might not be the the big 
big hit they were looking for, but we'd love to help them. Duly noted. I will offer that. But like, well, you could talk to the New York Times, but also. We also have this podcast <laughs> in Wisconsin. It's awesome. And Rebecca, can you remind us who made it to the, as a finalist? Because we kind of know who's out of consideration. I think it's probably not, you know, Mr. Delaney. Oh, no, no, no. This is the Klobuchar <laughs> Biden uh, contest, right? Yeah. We've got, yeah, so there were five candidates who, um, you know, had You're still Delanian, right? Do we so. do not have Delanian <laughs> who who were who did an interview with us? So uh, we had a interview with Cory Booker where um, Ingrid Walker Henry from um, the Milwaukee Teachers Education Association asked a question about charters. Actually, made it into NBC, did an article about it. So that was really awesome. Yeah, um, really great question. Uh, really funny facial expressions that she had that I screenshot. <laughs> and then we, you know, did uh, interviews with, um, you know, Bernie Sanders. I went down to South Carolina. That was super fun. Great energy in the room. Um, we did an interview with Elizabeth Warren at her campaign headquarters in Boston. Julian Castro, we did this like awesome interview with like over 100 people, um, almost like a rally down in, uh, I think it was Houston, Texas, maybe Dallas. And then who am I forgetting? Um, Booker. Oh, and then Mayor de Blasio. Blasio. Of course. <laughs> Your mayor. Come on. <laughs> my, my, um, we did. We did an interview with de Blasio as well. So those are the five who did interviews with us, who um, were invited to interview and decided to do it. Kamala Harris decided last minute not to do it. We had it scheduled and then it ended up getting unscheduled, which is which is really interesting. Um, and I think, you know, look, it, it's an open process. Uh, but if I were being honest i think you know from what i've been hearing from folks on the ground like among our members the two top contenders for our endorsement are bernie and warren and uh i i could talk about this for a while well, i don't know how much time we well, have let me but ask yeah. you, yeah. would you take it as circumstantial evidence that harris has decided to not go for the kind of progressive poll in this race based on her canceling the interview that would be the circumstantial case anyway yeah i also think like, I, I think that Booker, so so we have a very robust, awesome, awesome uh, Working Families Party state chapter in New Jersey. They do incredible work. And they were protesting Booker like two months ago, right? And so I think it says a lot that he opened himself up to this interview. And, uh, you know, of course, you know, we want to highlight the, the, the candidates who we invited to be a part of our process all have something worth highlighting. And Booker really does have stuff on mass incarceration um, and gun violence. There's, there's things left to be desired, but there's important, mm -hmm. important points that he's making that the other candidates aren't making, even the ones who are my favorite. And so, you know, we the interviews are fair. Like, they're an opportunity to uplift, like, good things that people are talking about, but we also ask hard questions. And he opened himself up to that, I think, knowing it wasn't going to be super friendly. So I think it what's interesting about Kamala is that, yes, like clearly this is, you know, she's she's not trying to be a, a left candidate, but also she's her her team, I should say, doesn't want her to be open to hard questions, um, which I think is interesting. Look, I, I think this is all super exciting because part of what's going on here is uh, the left and, and progressives are organized in this presidential and really trying to make these candidates respond to our platform and our agenda and what we see as critical to, to making this country actually live up to the, the dream of the opportunity that we say is here. And, and that's what a presidential primary process ought to be. And this is occurring really early in the process. So it's allowing, you know, there's plenty of time with all of the candidates. And people can, you know, criticize or say whatever they want about any of these kinds of processes. But, like, go look at the information and evaluate it. Make your own decisions, right? 
Um, and it's, but at least there's a real effective effort. You mentioned all of these comp, these video town halls. We're going to be doing it through People's Action on four different states. Um, it's really, really important uh, because this is where these candidates are being forced to grapple with these ideas and also grapple with the reality that a lot of the public is with us on these issues. If, if you look at the Warren Sanders polling, and I do want to mention the Maris NPR poll that came out. We don't have a lot of time to dive into it because we're going to have to go to a break, and we have Jody Emerson uh, joining us uh, in the next segment. But I want our listeners to go look at it. It's sort of the latest kind of national poll, uh, and it does really show that, right, we know that Sanders and Warren are running extraordinarily strong as progressives. So we know there's these ideas are extremely popular. So kudos uh, to Working Families Party and all the other organizations like People's Action that are trying to really uh, contest uh, for these ideas. But we got to take a break. We're going to continue to talk more about the presidential primary. Watch the debate here Thursday night if you get a chance to listen to this. Uh, but we have got to run. Uh, after these messages, we'll be joined by Representative Jody Emerson. Uh, again, you're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. So we often talk on the podcast about our organizing co-ops and how thrilled we are with so many of our members who are doing really exciting things. And that includes our next guest, who is a member of our Western Wisconsin organizing co-op. But more importantly, she is the state representative from the Eau Claire area. That is Jody Emerson. Jody, thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me, Matt. So, Jody, first of all, uh, we're thrilled that you took up the challenge to run for state assembly and then won, uh, went through a, a competitive primary, um, and are now the state rep from Eau Claire. So we, we just wanted to talk with you a little bit about that, what it is like to transition from being someone who is you know, super active in the community uh, to the state legislature. So maybe you could start just telling our listeners a little bit about yourself. Yeah, I'm happy to. Um, so I've always lived in Eau Claire all my life, um, went away to college at River Falls, but have always had a, pretty much the same zip code. And, and for a long time, I was a little embarrassed about that. But Eau Claire is, is an up-and-coming city. We've really got some growth, but we've got some challenges, too. And I thought being, you know, kind of the regular person that, you know, was an activist in the community, was very involved um, with my kids' activities when they were growing up and and now that my husband and I were looking at empty nest syndrome, we thought, you know, what's our next chapter? And, um, you know, serving the community in this regard was really something I was excited about. Um, the job I had held before I was in office, I worked as the public policy director for a small nonprofit um, that fought against human trafficking. And as part of my job, um, I was able to be on the statewide task force. I got several bills passed through the state legislature um, that helped strengthen our laws against human trafficking. And I thought, you know, this, I was able to bring both parties together. And, you know, it thought this, this is a way that we can actually serve our community. And so kind of got the public policy bug. And um, Dana Walks is the man who I replaced. And when he decided to run for governor, myself and, and three other Democrats actually decided to throw our hat in the ring. So when he said it was a competitive primary, it absolutely was. It was four very well-known people through the community um, who were looking to replace somebody who had, who had done Eau Claire proud. So. And for folks who don't know, the city of Eau Claire is a very democratic area. And so this, the primary is everything. And so 
Um, talk about that, right? I mean, it's. I think it's important. We at Citizen Action think it's important for regular folks who are doing important work in our community to see their leadership and run for office. Um, talk about that transition and talk about uh, what it's like to go into a uber competitive Democratic primary, where you know, um, you know, you got to win that uh, in order to 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 get into the legislature. Right. Yeah. It was it was a very competitive primary. Um, like I said, there were four Democrats who were running. Um, all of us who were very well known in our own circles and throughout the community. Our family was really wrestling with this because my husband's a journalist and has been a journalist ever since we got married, and so. Um, our family had never put yard signs out because of journalism ethics. Um, you know, we couldn't put yard signs out. It turns out that my yard sign was the first one we ever put in our yard. So um, we were really dealing with that um, between he and I trying to figure out, you know, how do we wrestle with this journalism politics piece? And, you know, what can I talk about at home? What can't I talk about? Um, you know, how does that affect what he was covering at the office? And um, so it was it was a different conversation than I think a lot of other people have had, too. So it was hard to figure out whether it was the time to run or not. Um, but being the little blue dot in a sea of red up there, um, you know, we, we're a progressive area. Um, our, our city council, our county board for Eau Claire, um, we all have a very good progressive majority there, and we thought, you know, it's it's time that um, you know another progressive runs, and and this was kind of a, a turning over of of a newer generation that was running um, at the local level, and so I thought I'm, I'm going to throw my hat in the ring too. So um, very interesting, but man, has it been an eye-opening experience. I thought I knew the capital with my other job, but. You see it at a whole different level once once you actually have an office here. So, <laughs> so Jody, talk a little bit more about right. You have this background in anti-human trafficking work. Uh, talk about now as a state legislator how your background prepares you for the legislature and what your priorities are. Like, what do you see as uh, something that when when you're when you're done as a state rep, you'll look back and say th- these were things that I really wanted to accomplish. And um, what what would those be? Well, as we look at human trafficking and and what puts somebody into a position of of being susceptible to becoming a victim of human trafficking, um, there's so many different factors. Um, There's economic injustice. There is um, racial disparities. There's there's all these things that put somebody in a place to be susceptible to being taken advantage of. Um, Vulnerable people, you know, if and it's not just the, you don't have a lot of money, you don't have, you know, your housing insecure, things like that. Um, there's other issues that are involved in human trafficking, like, you know, education factors, not reaching out to youth, um, you know, all kinds of, you know, drug addiction. And so I, through that work, really learned that we need to deal with the immediate issue, but we also need to look upstream as well. And why, what is happening in somebody's life that gets them in a position where they feel like this is what they need to do next. And so that's how I'm looking at a lot of things, whether it's criminal justice reform, whether it's affordable housing issues, whether it's employment issues, any of our progressive democratic values. Um, it's not just the immediate situation. I'm trying to look upstream and say, what can we do to prevent this from happening? So as we look at criminal justice reform, which is a huge passion of mine, um, partially because I saw a lot of victims of human trafficking incarcerated for the abuse that was happening to them. 
Um, but we also see the racial disparities and the economic disparities that are happening in our criminal justice system. And so I try and look at that. And say, yes, we need to deal with the criminal justice issue, but we also need to deal with mental health. We need to deal with addiction. And unless we're looking holistically at all kinds of systems, we're never going to make headway. We're always just putting a Band-Aid on something. Jody, this is Rebecca with the Working Families Party. This is just so delightful, and it's really nice for me to get get to know you a bit more and I'm just so excited that you're you know in public service and in office and you know what I think is so interesting about what you just said uh you know of course your work that predates even being in the legislature with anti-human trafficking work um but that you've carried into your your tenure um but those other issues you mentioned and, and looking at the opioid addiction uh crisis looking at um evictions or affordable housing and like looking at root causes that is like the stuff of government. And it's so exciting to have people in Madison who are like care about the issues and talking about the issues, but not just trying to slap a bandaid on things and really trying to dig in and figure out how we can like change like systems and like reach people before they get to that point. And so I wonder, um, you know, if there is anything in particular that you wanted to like mention is happening or not happening right now in any of those particular topics, I think that like listeners would be interested to know if the news typically when they report out of Madison is about log jams and inviting, which we know is real. Um, and there's not a lot on issues. Maybe every once in a while there's like a big ticket thing. But I wonder if there's anything in particular that you're working on or you see kind of being discussed at the legislature that has life or doesn't have life, but is like an issue that's interesting and that you could kind of flesh out a bit. It's such a multi-pronged approach because um, in the end, I think it all comes down to a topic that Citizen Action has been dealing with for, for years, and that's gerrymandering and fair maps. It comes down to the fact, you know, some of my issues that I'm fighting for um, with anti-human trafficking, we had a safe harbor bill that I worked on the whole time I was at the nonprofit. Um, and that would basically, what that is, is if somebody who's under the age of 18 um, can't be arrested for an act of prostitution um, because somebody who's a child can't consent to it. Um, we've worked on this hard for years, and each session we get a few more co-sponsors on there. You know, and it's like, okay, we made it through the Senate last time and made it through the Assembly Committee, but we didn't get an Assembly floor vote. Um, we're kind of along those same lines already. Um, we have enough co-sponsors on this bill um, we've got more than 50% in the Senate and in the Assembly. However, we can't get a floor vote in the Assembly. And so, you know, it's great that some of these people put their name on it, but they don't fight for it. And I think they do it because they can take the talking point back home and say, oh, yeah, I co-sponsored this, but, boy, it never came up for a vote. Well, co-sponsoring something means that you're willing to roll up your sleeves and dig in and fight for it. doesn't mean you get a talking point and, and a little piece of something to put on your next pamphlet or mailer or newsletter. It means you're really willing to fight for it if you're putting your name on it. And so that's one of the things that I've really seen is we've got a couple bills that have um, Representative Deb Colsey has a pharmacy benefit manager bill that between the Assembly and the Senate has over 100 co-sponsors. We can't get a hearing on it even. I mean, it is... So some of this gridlock that we get is, is amazing to me. Um, some of the other bills that I'm fighting for, um, I'm working with Senator Lena Taylor and Representative David Crowley on Unlock the Vote, which would give people who are on papers, who are on probation and parole, 
the right to vote after they're out of prison or jail. Um, you know, anytime we can get more people engaged in our civic process is huge. But if you look at, you know, the school boards, um, the district attorneys, the judge races, the sheriff races that are in each county, um, who better to vote on those races than people who've been personally connected with the criminal justice system? And so it's about getting people engaged. And studies show the more engaged somebody is in their community post-incarceration, the less likely they are to reoffend. And that should be our goal, is to put fewer people in jail because of systems and programs that we have on the outside, whether it's deferment court, whether it's civic engagement or whatever. So um, it's just really good to look at those things. But, but again, you know, when you've got Democrats that are on the bill, Republicans say, nope, no way are we going to do this. Um, so it's very, very frustrating. Yeah, <laughs> But no. it comes down to gerrymandering because they don't have to be responsive and responsible to their constituents. So. Well, those are actually three really great issues, and you're right about the gerrymandering. It plays a huge role, but um, really thrilled that you were able to join us and highlight a couple of these issues. They're, they're super important, and we're glad that you're there leading on it, uh, and we're really glad that you were able to take the time to talk with us on the podcast this morning. We'll, we'll have you on again uh, down the road. I would to talk, love it. Especially so, as you have more of these uh, pieces of legislation uh, that, that you're moving that we want to make sure get the light of day. Great. And thanks for Citizen Action for all you guys are doing. I know you guys are really helping us fight for things up in western Wisconsin and I know across the state. So thank you guys for doing what you do because it makes my job easier and better to be able to do. So thanks for what you guys are doing. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you so much, Representative Emerson. With Have that, a day, you guys. that's great. And with that, we are going to wrap up this Battleground Wisconsin. We will see you next week. We want to thank our producer, Brian Wildridge, who makes it happen every week. And, of course, we want to thank Representative Jody Emerson. But, again, if you're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin, we'll see you next week.